Support for this program comes from Tiger Lily Communications, public relations, content creation, publicity, and marketing for creatives. We make you look even better. Find out more at T-I-G-E-R-L-I-L-Y communications.com. and welcome to Speak On It, the podcast where the creatives tell their stories about what they do and why they do it. I'm Felicia Hodges, and today I'm talking with dancer extraordinaire Malcolm Griffin. Well-versed in tap, jazz, hip-hop, ballet, African, Caribbean, contemporary, and modern dance genres, he says he most enjoys creating phrases in his footwork, the basics of which he learned while earning his fine arts degree in performing arts, from Queens College. Full disclosure though, Malcolm is also my son, and since we're recording this on the second Sunday in May, it's Mother's Day here in the good old US of A, and this is really his Mother's Day gift to me. Thank you so much, Malcolm, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Sure, so, you know, obviously, um, I've known you since you were, like since forever, right? So um, tell us all a little bit more about yourself. Okay, well, I am eight months into my 27th year. I started dancing at the age of 16, and it was really an elective, and it was really more so to complement the sports that I was involved in. The martial arts was big. I was a gymnast before I started dance. At 16, I saw this group of dancers in my school. They had a lot of technique, a lot of jumps, a lot of things that I felt that I could do, but I didn't have that discipline because I didn't grow up with dance as like a young kid. So when I was 16, I started taking uh, modern jazz and hip hop and I just really fell in love with it. I was like, wait, I can do this. I love my rhythmic explorations of things. I just found myself to be really good at it. So I just sort of stuck with it. Fast forward the next year at the age of 17, I did my first musical and Beauty and the Beast was, it was a fun, musical, but there was a lot of dance numbers and a lot of dance breaks. So that was my moment to shine. So anytime that there there was a a dance break inside of the musical, that was like where my moment was. That's where I was practicing all my choreography and, you know, just, just getting the basics out of the way. In college at 18, this is in 2011, that's when I decided that I really wanted to do this. I had my first dance professor, her name was Anne Sinchetti. I'll never forget her. I was in her modern class, just her typical class was from 9.15 to 10.30, Mondays and Wednesdays. And after the second class, she said, how would you like to be a part of our performance team? I said, me, really? She goes, yes, I think you've got a great way of moving. I think you have excellent technique and I think that this would be a good fit for you. And so sure enough, uh, that fall, we did our little preview show. I, I. Never one that had self-esteem issues, but I didn't know how far it would take me. And I didn't know that I would be discovered so quickly. You know, I'm 18. I'm new to the whole college scene. And I didn't think that I would be good enough for someone to come ask me to be a part of a performance opportunity, especially without a formal audition. And um, it just, it, it made me happy. I met some people that I still talk to. I just, I think it was a collective jumpstart to my professional career. And now I'm a teacher. I don't perform as much as I would like to. 
especially with this whole pandemic, but the, the college experience really opened me up to new things and, and the new world. As you said, I got my bachelor's from Queens, but I started at a local school. I started at a community college, you know, just to kind of get my foot in the door and see what college life is about. And I loved it. And when I moved to Queens in 2013, it just, it really jumpstarted me. And I met so many different professors and started taking African, started doing Caribbean. And it just, it, it was a jumpstart. Like college, that, that first teacher that discovered me jumpstarted me to do other things. You mentioned that you started relatively late because many dancers start, you know, in their five yeah. or six. Did you feel somehow um, behind because you started late, later than others? Not at all, because I was good enough to catch on. And a lot of people were impressed at the fact that I started so late because when they would watch me perform or watch me create something, it would be like, wait, how old were you when you started? You started this when you were 16. I've been doing this since I was four and it took me eight years just to learn that. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I was really fed by the, the compliments and the, and the positive vibes, I guess, the, the, the positive reviews that people gave me in terms of my work, in terms of even like small little phrases or just any sort of rhythmic quality that I have, I just put it to use. And at 16, it served me well. So uh, I never had the feeling, oh my God, I'm never gonna get this job because I haven't been doing this since I was three years old now. If you're passionate about something, you can make it look like you've been doing it for a lot longer than you have. And that I discovered instantly. And if dance weren't his profession, what would that career choice be? Like I am somebody who lives to entertain, but who also lives to be entertained. And I think I would make an excellent reality TV star. Any genre, it could be like the house husbands, it could be like a dance mom show, anything. Put me in front of a camera and I won't let you down. You mentioned the pandemic, right? I mean, things yeah. are very different in COVID times and they have been yeah. probably in our lifetimes anyway. How mm -hmm. has that impacted not just what you do, the teaching and the auditioning and things like that, but how you mm -hmm. do it? Really the biggest thing is the change of setting. My class is not being so big. I like odd numbers. Like the thing about my choreography is that odd numbers always look better on stage. So I like a group of either seven, nine, and if I get crazy, 11, but it, just, it has to be an odd number. I like one person stand out and then an even number on the sides. Uh, this year in my classes, I have five kids and that's still an odd number, but it's not as many as I would like. Um, sometimes certain shapes and certain forms don't come together if you don't have enough bodies on stage, but I've had to make that work obviously because you know I can't just like clone children and make them be there. The biggest thing that has changed is actually teaching dances in this kind of setting over Zoom. Uh, so what we do is the studio would be empty, right? And I would be showing the choreography, you know, using the whole room. And I'll have like seven or eight kids on Zoom virtually learning the step or doing the warm up with me or whatever have you. I don't prefer it, but I also prefer that our children grow up and be great dancers and they can only have that opportunity if they're safe. So it's, a, it's an alternative to being in person, but I would rather it be in person. I'm not gonna rush the pandemic. I don't know when it's gonna be over, but definitely I would like for things to slowly return to normal and slowly have my class sizes back to the way that I like it. But it, it hasn't affected the level of skill of the choreography. I'm still proud of what I'm doing. I still think that the kids are improving. Um, and I think that they wanna get back into the studio as much as I want them to. We've had to adjust, but making those adjustments 
for me to be able to say, hey, I survived through this pandemic and I was still able to do what I was put here to do. That's going to be a great feeling once this is all over. How do you do it, though? I mean, you know, I, I teach virtually as well, and I just know that, mm-hmm. that it's different. It feels different. Like, how do you teach tap virtually? How do you, you know, I mean, how do you do that? Because there's only five kids, I have them all in the studio. But I have seen my colleagues do tap classes virtually. And what has to happen with that is the parents would have to equip their child with a board or some sort, because I'm sure people pay a lot of money to keep their houses nice and cool. And you don't want a bunch of scuff marks and things. Or if you're like me and you live upstairs, you have downstairs neighbors that can be obnoxious. So what I've seen them do is they'll either have a really thick piece of wood, like maybe five by five feet by five feet. And it'll be like either raised or they have like the soft flat ones that are like rubbery, but they like, when they, when you make the noise on it, it's not going to be like super obnoxious, but I'll still be able to hear and see that you're learning the step, right? But those tap was definitely the, the most challenging genre to be virtual with because the, the sound isn't always syncopated the right way. So you might be doing what you think is the right rhythm, but if I hear it at a different beat, that's going to throw me off. So I'm going to have to watch it again. So the tap definitely would be the hardest. Um, the other genres that I have not taught virtually would be Caribbean, African, ballet, all of those. Those I haven't seen fully virtual, but some kids, so there'll be a certain number of kids in the studio and then maybe two or three children will zoom in. And the two or three children don't get less attention. They just have the attention thrown at them or given corrections in a different way. So it's like, there's they're there, but they're not there. And at first, I'm like, ooh, the kids are probably going to be antsy. But as we got further on in time, it became easier to manage and easier for them to pick up too, because it's like, you still, even though you're virtual, you still have to do your job as a teacher and make sure that they're understanding the step. And we'll be back with more right after this. Stay with us. The Groove Pavement Podcast, talk show, and movie review where we break down the black exploitation era, the cinematic genre, the exploitation of the black culture, and experience through film and media. We'll also dive into the cast, the subgenres, the TV shows, and the music. Outside of the films, we'll view some critical signs of the time and what these stories meant then and now, from entertainment to society to economics. The Groove Pavement. Catch a new episode each Thursday on Hudsey.tv. Facebook, and thegroovedpavement.com. And we're back with more from dancer-choreographer Malcolm Griffin, who told us what he'd prefer to be doing these days if it weren't for COVID. Maybe auditioning. I really, I hate auditions. Like, it's not that I don't believe in myself. It's just that I really hate the, the environment of auditions. Like, dancers are very territorial about what we know, how we move and an audition or an opportunity to have like one role or one part, it's it's intense and I don't like the intensity. Like I like to be able to focus, breathe and have a good time and like just woo everybody with my charm and my personality. But I feel like I can't do that if I am intensely worried about this audition. So auditions, I hate auditions. But no, I would definitely be up and down, in and out, on a plane somewhere making moves, you know, just, Definitely in the club, like definitely going out. I'm 27 right now, but I really, 
I don't want the club scene to end for me. And I know we all have that time. That time is going to come where it's like, okay, take your butt home and go to sleep and, you know, hit the pillow. But I don't want that to come anytime soon for me. So I hope once this is all over, as I creep closer and closer to that big three decades, that I'll still be able to jump up and down and make the party hot. But that, that's really what I would be doing. If there was no COVID, I would be on a plane, on a vacation somewhere with a little drink in my, or a little umbrella in my straw, music blasting, and just really having a good time and enjoying my youth. <laughs> what fuels you passion-wise? in the dance realm and anything, what is it that drives you to keep going every day? Truthfully, it's music. I have playlists up the wazoo, as you know, I've shared them with you. I send music to you all the time and I really get inspired by the funkiest beat that I could ever hear. So if I hear a song and it's just an earworm, it inspires creativity, it inspires choreography. It has me imagining myself you know, in the club or on vacation with that drink in my hand that I just mentioned. So when I get up in the morning and I check my SoundCloud and I see that there's a new song by a label that I like or by an artist that I like or a producer that I like, I really just become inspired. It's like, oh, I got to make some moves to that. Even if it's not something that I can put on paper yet, it's something that I can just like put in my repertoire, hold it in my phone. And then when the time comes and when I have the right setting, you know, turn that music on and then here we go. So a new song every day or a, a, just a new earworm that I can wake up and, and envision myself having a good time with is what keeps me going, without a doubt. Since quarantine has started, I have tried to download a new song at least every day. If not, sometimes, most of the time on Saturdays, there's not a lot of new music, but I find some sometimes but I have a plethora of uh, UK house labels, producers that I follow house music until the day that I leave this earth. Like house music is just like that one thing that you just can't get enough of. Um, minimal house, tech house, trap house. Like there's, there's so many different genres or subgenres of house music, but the one that has kept me going as of 2021 is minimal UK house, which is, it's defined by the rhythm and the patterns and it usually grows from start to finish. And the song is usually not under five minutes long. I actually have a whole playlist dedicated to house music that is five minutes or above. And I think the total time is 3.3 days within 800 something songs. But it's, if you listen to it from start to finish, it's gonna take you three days to finish it. So. You know, finding that move, the, finding the movement is really based for me in finding the right music and finding the right groove. And one of my tap teachers, Marshall Davis Jr., I'll never forget what he told me when I was coming up in Queens. It's not in the move, it's in the groove. So finding those funky rhythms is really what keeps me going, especially as of now in 2021, over a year into this pandemic. You know, I, I like I, I can think back. So when the pandemic first started, even before COVID started, and I remember I was in the process of building these playlists. And when I listened to the 2020 playlist um, versus the 2021 playlist, so much more house music. Like this whole year has been house, 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 garage, house, 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 house. So it's, I'm just like, wow, my music taste, like my musical ear has grown from 26 to 27. It's funny because, you know, it, it, you've always been into music in so many different types. And part of that was, you know, because you live in a house that was filled with music, but you never 
seem to me, or at least as far as I know, to be um, a, a music creator. Why, why did you never get into like making beats or anything like that? You know what, I'm starting to get into it now uh, because I've met, well not met, I've, I've been in contact with a lot of producers over on the other side of the pond. And it just, I know what I like to hear. And I like, sometimes I do make beats in my head and, you know, take songs and maybe like remix them and put them over a new beat. I think I have a passion for the music, but I don't necessarily know if that passion translates into sitting down and creating it myself. And dancing solo with live musicians? I would dance live, but I don't really like solo moments. Like my music and or my aesthetic, I like group choreography. Like I don't like the idea of like a one man band or like somebody playing the music and then you're just out there dancing by yourself. Like I feel like I would need people behind me. Like, of course I'm up front, but I like having like a ring of people or like a, just a, a group to make things better. I don't know. Like, I, I know I'm enough of a personality myself, but as far as like performing, I don't like performing alone. I'd rather be with other people. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> but no, when I'm on stage, truthfully, I sort of zone out if that makes sense to you, like I hear the music, I'm aware of others on the stage because obviously you have to have a sort of awareness so you don't crash into each other. But it's really a surreal feeling when you're on stage and you're, you're performing, everything kind of like zones out. And I would even say the same thing with regard to track and field, which you know, I, I did at one point. And I remember we were indoors at a meet and I took the baton and like everything just zoned out. Like I didn't see anybody else running around me. I didn't hear anybody cheering. I just, you know, sometimes you really become in a zone, depending on the style of dance you're doing, depending on the intensity of the dance that you're doing, you really become in a zone. So when I'm on stage, I definitely am in a zone. Those folks who are like, I can't do this, or I'll never get where he is. What would you say on? I would say you have to believe in yourself. You know, you have to really trust your instinct and See, I'm not somebody that has ever struggled with self-esteem. So that, that I can't, I, I guess I can't empathize with that. But if you believe that you can, if you say that you can't, then you probably can't. If you are inspired by somebody who's moving in a way that you might not think you could, I would say to use that to your discretion and, and do what you can with it to make you be the best you you can be. I've been intimidated by people before. Like I've, I've walked into a room of dancers and I've just been like, wow, I'll never... And then I do something that I enjoy doing and it's like, wow, I could never. So it's like, when you see a quality in somebody else that you think that you're lacking, you shouldn't forget about the qualities that make you you. So if you see somebody who, I guess, I wouldn't say inspired, but if you see somebody that you're intimidated by, or if you see a dancer or, or somebody who has something that you might wanna achieve or attain, you can, but it, it's really about believing in yourself. I know that's really corny and cliche, but you have to trust yourself first before you count yourself out. What do you see yourself doing next? Where do you go from here? Truthfully, I see myself teaching for a few more years. I would love to be the owner of my own business. I would love to have my own. I would, I, 
don't even want to reveal the name because it's so good and it would make such sense to you. Actually, you know what? No, I'm going to talk about it. If I had my own studio, it would be the seventh of the ninth. Because if you see my Instagram, you know my tagline or my bio says, I was born on the seventh of the ninth, but I always had the eight count. So I think it would be seventh of the ninth dance studios. That's what I would like to call it. I don't know if it would be a partnership. I don't know if I would like have co-owners. I probably would have co-owners. I spend a lot of time by myself when I'm not with my kids because of COVID. And it, it does take an effect on your happiness, you know, loneliness and sadness. But when I'm in the dance studio, all that goes away. So I would have to do something that involves someone else but still be in charge of it. I don't even know if that's possible. I definitely see myself being in charge of my own business. Be it at 27 or be it at 47, 20 years from now, it, it will happen for me. I'm capable of making a way for myself to do that. Who do you see yourself working with, teaching, instructing, being around? I really enjoy children of all ages, but preferably I like older teens because they know, even if they don't have the skills, even if they haven't been doing it for a while, that age at 16, 15, you decide whether or not you're passionate about something versus like young, young children who might not necessarily have a say in what their parents choose for them to do in their extracurriculars. So it's rewarding to watch children get older and get more passionate and get better as they grow. But when you are working with a group of young adults, not only are they passionate, but they, they kind of understand what you want as the choreographer. So I definitely see myself working with older, um, young adults to adults of all ages. Like I see myself teaching adult classes, beginner, intermediate, advanced. I just, I see myself being in charge of the room. Like I just, I see myself taking a leadership role in anything. And in case you were as curious about choreography as I was. So choreography is just really the art of creating phrases, creating movements, uh, creating patterns that make sense with the music. Like, okay, so if you're creating choreography, you have to know what it is that you're doing, but you also have to know how to explain it to your students being able to count, being able to rehearse the choreography because you don't just get up and go, okay, I'm gonna do this, this, that, and this. Okay, do what I just did. And then they do it and it's wrong. You're just like, nope, that's not what I did. I've had teachers like that before and I resent them, but <laughs> there's definitely a certain teaching style when it comes to laying down the choreography. You have to know who you are as a choreographer and you also have to choreograph for who's in the room. I have learned and I've grown as a teacher that it's easy for me to get frustrated when I feel like I'm explaining choreography or when I'm showing choreography that should be simple. And after six or seven times, my students don't get it. It took a while to realize that sometimes it's not what you say, but how you say it. So if you think this is simple and you see that they're struggling with this choreography, then they're just gonna shut down because they feel like you're getting frustrated with them. They're frustrated with themselves because they're not doing it right. So it taught me that I have to slow down in terms of making phrases, in terms of making dances, because you want people to not only get it, but you want them to like that they got it. You don't want them to, to get it out of reluctancy or, or resentment, like, oh, he just wouldn't shut up, so now I can get this movement right. That's not the type of choreographer that I wanna be or that I am. But choreography for me is 
just the understanding of a pattern and the understanding of the creation of a phrase. And it can be simple, it can be complex, it can involve arms, it can involve toes, it can involve shoelaces. As long as there is a pattern or some sort of structure um, and some sort of ability to teach within that structure is, is what I enjoy most. Um, in terms of watching choreography, I love, it's called rippling is when choreography, you have a group of dancers who do the same choreography, but not necessarily at the same time. Um, ripples are my favorite technique. I like level changes. I like entering and exiting the stage. Um, there's, it's just involves so much. I don't know how much time you have, but there's a lot that goes into being a choreographer and learning choreography from someone else. My tap professor, Marshall Davis Jr., taught me a lot of what I know in a very short amount of time because I didn't think that I was ever going to be able to do tap. I remember when I took my first tap class, I think I was 18. I had these shoes. I was trying to figure out why everybody was able to move so fast. And then I realized I had beginner shoes, which is fine because I was a beginner at the time. But then when I got down to Queens and I met Marshall Davis Jr., I mean, this guy is just fantastic. He's smooth. He's all laid back. He doesn't even raise his voice. He's just such an awesome guy. And you listen to him talk and it's like music is its own language, like, like counting beats, knowing how many beats are in a bar. Just there's so much that it involves. But Marshall Davis Jr. taught me everything that I know. And aside from my other professors of dance who have definitely helped me along the way, Marshall Davis Jr. is definitely that number one guy who I can go to if I need a phrase or if I need to remember a technique that he taught that involves my feet, that involves, you know, different movements and other genres. I'm happy that I got to work with him. I got to be his student for two years. You can find out more about Malcolm Griffin via his Instagram page. A little complicated, but... So it's seventh dot of... September, the seven is an S, and there's a period between the P and the T. Or you can just search Malcolm Griffin, M-A-L-C-O-L-M-G-R-I-F-F-I-N. Stay tuned for scenes for my next episode, because I am, I am going to be revamping my Instagram page to reflect who I am as a performing artist, and as a choreographer, and as a student. I teach, but I'm still a student. I realized that I put a lot of my focus into like making little videos, but I don't post them. Like I need to post my experiences more. Like I need to post when I'm in the studio more. And the reason I haven't done that is because I've been so invested in teaching these little kids that when I do do things, I just keep them for my own personal growth. I don't show the world what I'm capable of. So that I need to be better at, absolutely. And that's our episode. Special thanks to my son, Malcolm, for giving me such an amazing Mother's Day gift. You can follow Speak On It on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Vimeo. And you can even email us at tigerlilycommunications at mail, just mail, dot com to let us know what you think. By the way, the original music that you're hearing now is called Please Irene by Lynn Riley and the World Mix. The time for live music again is coming soon. But in the meantime, you should head on over to their YouTube channel to check out some of their amazing past performances. Hope to catch you again soon. Stay safe out there. <laughs>